I know Raiden and I talked to you quite a bit about money, uh, but today we wanted to change it up some and talk to you about a different way that you can secure your retirement, which is by seeing new things and experiencing new things. And we're going to do that today by talking about art with Jennifer Dassel, who is the curator for the NC Museum of Art. Yeah, this is uh, this interview that we did. Uh, Merce and I, when we started out the interview, uh, we're like, I don't even know that we know anything about art, but we got the referral actually from Laura in our office. And she said, you need to interview her. She said, I've read her book. She goes, I've listened to her podcast. It's just, it's super fun and interesting. And so we said, okay, well, let's have her on the show. And by the end of uh, our podcast, Merce and I both are like, oh man, I want to, I want to learn more about art. And she shares a fantastic story about a piece of art that everybody knows about. So you want to make sure you listen to that. Uh, and it's just a, it, it's a different kind of show, but very interesting. I hope you enjoy. I will ask you to do this before we uh, go into the show, though. If you have the ability, we would certainly appreciate uh, if you have not been able to do so to give us a five-star rating and write us a little review. Uh, this is mostly on iTunes, but no matter where you listen to us, if you're able to rate us, we would certainly appreciate it. It certainly does help us, but we appreciate uh, every single one of you who listen to the show, and we hope you enjoy our interview with Jennifer Dassel. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. We welcome everybody to our podcast today. Uh, today is uh, one of those uh, podcasts that we're doing on lifestyle. We have really broken the podcast down into three categories, financial, um, legacy, and the other's lifestyle. And I kind of put this one under the lifestyle column. And what we wanted to do is uh, talk about something that's right here in Raleigh that a lot of people would would be able to benefit from and, uh, and maybe not uh, understand completely right now. But after talking to our guests, maybe we'll have a much better understanding of the art world. And so we went out and we wanted to find an art expert. And so we do have one with us today. We've got Jennifer Dassel. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on the podcast with us today. Thanks. Thank you for having me. This is great. I'm excited to be here. Well, good. Well, uh, you know, uh, Jennifer has written a book and it's, and I'm, am I saying it right when I say art curious? Correct. Yes, yeah. Art curious. Yeah. So she's got a, a book on that. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go into the conversation, but you know, uh, it's interesting that there's many different aspects that maybe we just, some of us don't understand about art. And so we're, we're excited to be able to to talk with you today, Jennifer. So I'm going to turn it over to Merce and Merce is going to get us started on our on our first question or so here. Yeah, once again, thanks for joining us, Jennifer. Um, so I read, I was reading into your book and at, at the beginning, you have this introduction pretty much stating that you weren't always into art. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I'm not that much into art. The, the museum is right down the road and I think I've only been there once yeah. uh, in my you know very long time being in the area. So what uh, what gravitated you towards art? What was like that 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 changing um, 
thing that happened in your life that said, hey, I actually really like this stuff? That's such a great question. And I completely am, I understand where you're coming from because as I say in the book, it's exactly where I used to be. So I didn't have any real art experience growing up. It wasn't something that was of great interest to my family. So I didn't go to museums very often, except maybe the occasional school field trip. And any, I don't particularly have a lot of artistic experience myself. So me trying to actually create art did not go very well for me as well. Um, but I do remember that when I was entering my freshman year in college uh, back in California, which is where I'm originally from, um, I needed to have something to kind of check that humanities requirement off of my graduation requirement list. And I was always, I've always been kind of a type A person. So I wanted to make sure that I could get a lot of the requirements out of the way as quickly as possible to make sure that I can get done and graduate on time. So I knew that I wanted to get this requirement done and everything I wanted to do, like English classes, music classes, things like that, they were all completely booked by the time I got around to registering for them. And I tried probably about five or six different courses, electives to get into and could not do it. And I was so frustrated and I felt like there was really no option for me. So I went to a course counselor and the course counselor basically said, this is not a big deal. We're just gonna find you a class and you're just gonna take it. It's gonna be great. And she sat down with a physical book, a course catalog. So it was like this thick, it was super big. And she just said, it's great. We're just gonna find something that is open for you. And she opened to the letter A, just basically started at the beginning. And so she came upon art history fairly quickly. And she said, this is a popular class. A lot of people take your introduction to art history, kind of beginning with ancient art, going all the way to probably the early Renaissance. And she said, let's just see if there's still room. And of course there was. And before I could even really say anything, I found myself already registered into this class, you know, without me saying so and being any interested at all. Um, so I found myself in art history and I was very angry about it. I really was not thrilled and not excited at all to take this class. And a couple of weeks later, I realized that the joke was kind of on me because the more I started learning about art, the more I got completely drawn in into the backstories. So why we create as people, what it means for us to make works of art, um, you know, the backstory behind the artists, what inspired them. And I couldn't get enough. And officially about two years later, I changed my major to art history. And it's kind of, that's how it all began for me. It was accidental, really. That's, that's awesome. Isn't that crazy how that some one little thing can kind of shape your, your future? Cause yeah. I had a very, I had a very similar situation. Um, I was doing finance in, in college, but I didn't know there's so many different avenues that you can take in, in finance. I didn't know which one I wanted to do. And then I stumbled on this personal finance class. And now that's what I've been doing ever since, you know, so one little thing can shape, you know, the next 10, 20, 30 years of your life. It's pretty cool. It is. And it's fun to be open to stuff like that. Uh, and just kind of let the things that you're interested in find you which is very cool. So yeah. we know that you're a book writer and, uh, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit too, but so I know that where you work, you're called the art curator. So could you describe what that means? Like somebody who's in that position, what that actually entails? Sure. That's a really good question. I get it all the time because I feel like it's one of those jobs that 
people don't quite know exactly what a curator is. And I completely understand it's not the most straightforward job, but basically we're the caretakers of works of art within our particular departments. So at the North Carolina Museum of Art, for example, I am the curator of modern and contemporary art. So it's a little hazy, but basically it's like I specialize in 19th and or excuse me, 20th and 21st century art. So what it means to be the curator of that is that I take all of the work that's in the collection within that realm, that time period, and I'm the person that helps to do things like contextualize it through wall labels. I give lectures about it. If there's an exhibition, I put it together, whether or not it's coming from the museum internally, like we, we create the exhibition and then put it on display, or if it's something that we're borrowing from another institution, it comes to us on loan, then I then learn about all the works of art, decide where it goes on the wall in conjunction with our design department, and then everything that you would possibly learn about the works of art, so wall labels, um, catalog information, any public tours, then it's a lot of content that I'll be creating. So basically, I write about the art, I talk about the art, I help decide where it's going to go up on the wall, and uh, all of the kind of pertinent back information with that. That's awesome. I got one follow-up question, and I know, you know, just on that point, so you wrote this book, Art <laughs> Curious, and then in, in, on the front of the book, it says, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. And I'm just curious, could you, like, when you think about stories around art, is anything come to mind that you go, okay, let me give you a strange story, or here, let me give you a little bit of background. Do you have anything like that that you could share with us? Absolutely. So I'll give you the backstory to why I created the podcast Art Curious in the first place, which then led to the book Art Curious, which is about four or five years ago, I was on a business trip for the North Carolina Museum of Art. And I was going to meet an artist in of all places in France to talk about an exhibition that we were doing together. And so before I met with this artist, I had a few days available to just hang out in Paris while I was waiting to meet up with this person. So, so basically and, what you're saying is this job has very difficult aspects of it, having to travel to France. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Somebody has to do it. The perks are just non-existent. <laughs> so I, I took a couple days just to be in Paris and to immerse myself in the museum scene there. And so I thought, well, you know, it's going to be really nice. I've been to Paris so maybe a couple of times prior to that point in my life, I'd only been to the Louvre Museum once. And so I thought, oh, it'll be great to go to the Louvre. I would love to see the Mona Lisa again, because I think that's the first thing that a lot of people, if you think about the Louvre Museum, you think, oh, that's where Mona Lisa is, the most famous work of art, probably of all time, really, for most of us. And uh, the first thing that I think of whenever I think of Mona Lisa is that when I was in that kind of freshman year art history class, my professor was talking about what was great about Leonardo da Vinci and his works of art, especially Mona Lisa. And at the very end of her lecture about this work of art, she said, you can go see it. It's at the Louvre. If you end up in France, check it out. And she paused for what felt like maybe five seconds. And then she said, and if you don't make it, it's not a big deal because the Mona Lisa that you see isn't the real one. The real one is somewhere else. We don't know. It might be in the basement or maybe it was stolen. And she rattles off this very quick, what seemed to me to be a very conspiracy theory kind of story. And it really shook me because this was from a professor who didn't seem to be 
someone who was interested in that kind of story. And she seemed very straightforward and level-headed and it just seemed so bizarre. So while I was on this business trip, I did indeed go to the Louvre. I saw the Mona Lisa and I thought, why would she think that? And that really just made me pick up a book and start reading about the fact that Mona Lisa has been stolen multiple times. The first time she was stolen, it is potentially that she was stolen by a known art forger and an art theft who were working in conjunction with one another. She was then stolen again during World War II and there is a known copy of the work of art that is supposed to be so close in resemblance that the Louvre themselves even call it nearly identical. So it really just led me to wonder how come more people don't know these very weird stories about this most famous work of art. And that was what inspired me to do my podcast and what has led me to where we are right now with this book. Very weird. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that's an awesome story. Actually, while we're on it, because I don't really know uh, the story of the Mona Lisa. And I I imagine there's plenty out there that what 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 about the Mona Lisa? I know it was paint. Well, I don't know who it was painted by. Who was it painted by? Leonardo da Vinci. Right. So what about that? 16th century. What about that painting and that that specific painting makes it so desirable to to steal or to forge? What makes it so the, the, the highlight of going to see the Louvre? Yeah, well, I think for most people, the fact that it's a highlight is just because it's so iconic and so recognizable. Like, even if you are not interested in art, you still have a mental picture of what the Mona Lisa looks like and who the Mona Lisa is, because you've seen it imitated and parodied everywhere. It's been in Looney Tunes, it's been on The Simpsons, it's it's everywhere. So you go, I think, for a lot of people just to be able to say, oh, I saw the real deal. One of the reasons that it's become so iconic is actually the fact that it was stolen. So very long story short, the Mona Lisa as a work of art was important during the Renaissance. It was by Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most famous artists of that period and probably of the last millennia, really. And uh, but it wasn't this totally idealized, wonderful work of art that everybody knew and loved at that point. It wasn't until probably the late 19th century that people started getting really interested in the work of art. And part of it does have to do with the fact that she has that weird kind of like half smile, that very mysterious smile that everybody likes to talk about. And that became a big deal in the 19th century when a lot of writers and poets started really kind of waxing rhapsodic about this work of art. So she had this long period of being interesting, but not super famous. And then when the work of art was stolen the first time in 1911, it was gone for almost two and a half years. And there was this thought that it would never return. And then when the work of art was finally returned, as far as as, uh, history has told us, that was when it just became this pop culture sensation. And it's really never faded since then. It's been, it has had a really long, interesting history because of it. Very good. So could you tell us a little bit about maybe obviously you're you're working here in Raleigh. Do you have any, uh, you know, where you work now? Are there other venues too that you go, oh man, this is really cool. And even tell us a little bit about the venue you have where you are and, and maybe things that we could do around that uh, uh, for, I know right now it's a little different because of COVID, but, but in a normal scenario, hopefully yes. soon. Definitely. I know. Fingers crossed. Um, I think the Triangle is so awesome for art. It's one of the most 
uh, creative and interesting and also most collaborative art locations that I have yet experienced in the US. So I would say definitely checking out a lot of the other local institutions like the Gregg Museum of Art at NC State, uh, the Nasher at Duke and the Ackland Art Museum at uh, UNC. They're all fantastic. They all have different areas of expertise. Like the Nasher is also really great with contemporary art for things like textiles and um, maybe some printmaking and things like that. The Greg is great. The Ackland has a really incredible print, uh, prints and drawings collection as well as Asian art. So a lot of these uh, institutions, we kind of feed off of one another and we all have our own strengths. At the NCMA, we have an encyclopedic collection that stretches from ancient Egypt all the way through the modern day contemporary art. So we have a lot of areas of uh, strength, I think, within that collection, but it's really amazing to know that we have more than 2000 years that can be represented in one space, especially in a city the size of Raleigh. It's not huge. And what we have at the NCMA is really amazing for, for our kind of town, our area. It's fantastic. Good, so, so you mentioned um, the in, in the in the triangle a few places and then you, you've also talked about Paris so whether you've seen it or not what what are some of the your favorite locations or locations that you would you still have yet to visit that you'd really like to say bucket list locations within the whole world oh my gosh how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> I mean I feel like there's so many places to go that have these iconic works of art. I, I mean, I really could talk for hours about what I want to see, but I would say the top ones right now, um, I really want to go to Mexico City. I've been one time, but unfortunately I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time looking at the art. I was there again on, on work, so unfortunately I was working the whole time. Um, but I want to go see some of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera's works, especially Diego's murals that are in Mexico City. Um, I would love to do that. There's a bunch of collections in Rome that I haven't yet visit, visited that I would love to see as well. Some of my favorite institutions that I have been to, um, of course, there are incredible museums in New York. So just a quick hop and skip away from Raleigh. Uh, but I also love the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg in Russia. And also love the, oh goodness, there's a couple others in Spain that are fantastic too. I feel like it's really hard to beat Europe for a lot of really incredible museums. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, Get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. So... As I'm, I'm hearing you say all this stuff, and obviously just hearing you talk about it makes me go, wow, that sounds very interesting now, whereas I just never thought about it before. And while I know where the art museum is, I've walked out and where the different <clears throat> pieces of art are out in the in the back there. But if, if let's just say 
a person who's never really been into art, I'm almost wanting to find out like, what's the baby steps for me? If I said, all right, I want to come to the, to the art museum, kind of baby step me and say, Hey, if you do this, you might not have any concept of art, but do this. And this might help you get into it. Or this might help you get that understanding. So you, you kind of grow in your interest around art. Yes, I would say that art is just like anything else, like movies or music, in that you're going to be drawn to something probably very different than maybe the person next to you or even somebody like your, your partner or your kids or a friend who you're going to the museum with. So I would say if you're entering an art museum for the first time and don't know what to do, just start by doing a quick loop. And in a place like the NCMA, it's easier to do that than at the Metropolitan Museum in New York, which is huge. I would just say, um, you know, look on a map or do a quick lap in the galleries just to see what area of the collection sounds most interesting to you. Like, are you excited more about the idea of photography as opposed to the idea of um, religious paintings from the 16th century in Europe, for example? Um, do you like paintings that are really bright and colorful? And if so, you might be more interested in contemporary art, something that's going on today. Um, so I really just tell people that you don't have to understand everything, nor do you have to like everything. For me, I think the most important thing is just to look at something. And you'll start learning the more you look at art to you'll find out what you're most intrigued by. And at that point, I would say, if you want to, then you can dive in and start learning more about the works by reading the wall text that's there, if there is any, or by looking up more information about a particular work or a particular artist. And you can do that sometimes just right there in the galleries on your phone, or even just take a picture of a work and then Google some information about it later. I think the most important part is just you looking and finding what is personally exciting to you. And uh, sometimes that takes a little bit of time and that is okay. Yeah, that's, I think understanding the story, if I was to get into art, I think it would be because I would wanna understand the story. So yeah. th like the way that you just told the story about the Mona Lisa, I had no idea. I, and I, and, you know, I, I knew what the Mona Lisa was and I don't know why I knew it, but you told the story and then I'm like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. So for me, I think it would be understanding the, the story behind the art to actually get me into it. Um, Absolutely. And I think sometimes it can be difficult because we are in this phase uh, in a lot of museums where we are really trying to limit the wall labels, for example. So like right now, how much information can you share with a viewer when you only have a hundred words to do it? Um, right. So we are actually relying on you as visitors quite a bit to bring your own thoughts and information. And that can be difficult when you're really looking for our help to give you that backstory. So by, by no means is it easy. It is definitely a challenge, but I think it is worth it to find out what um, you're most excited by. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another topic here. So say we have someone, you know, that is just trying to get more art into their household. And I, I'm not saying I know this is not what you do, but um, do you have any, say, local spots or places that you've gone that you really think they have a they're, they've got a good thing going? It's supporting local. Any of those in the area? If someone's saying I need to go get this or that, you know, what are some of your favorite spots in the area? 
That is a really great question. Um, yeah, I personally don't have a ton of like design kind of art experience, but for sure, I would say there are an incredible amount of local artists in the area. And many of them are involved with some of the smaller arts organizations. A lot of them are downtown Raleigh. So I'm thinking about Art Space, VAE, Anchor Light, especially. They're um, artist studios and artist um, small places that do exhibitions as well. And sometimes in, in normal times, there's a lot of art openings that you can just go in and browse. And in a lot of cases, uh, the artists will be there to talk about their work with you, which is something that artists love to do to be able to make that personal connection. Uh, right now, I'm not sure how many uh, opportunities there are for that, but I do know that places like Anchor Light and Art Space are able to make appointments so that you can go in and physically look at art in a safe space. And I really think that that's the best thing, making that connection with the artists directly at these kind of smaller institutions. There's so many. I highly recommend looking them up. So I know that prior to us uh, doing the uh, recording the podcast, I was asking you about, are you working from home? You said, yeah, I've been working from home now throughout this whole situation with COVID. Is mm -hmm. there, how, how's it working at the museums? Are the museums not open? Uh, like what is it for your, you know, your particular location? How are people dealing with that right now in, in the COVID scenario? Yes, so the museum is open. We, I believe we opened up in September. It was either September or October. So we were really closed down for a good half of the year last year. Um, any of us who aren't involved in the front line, so visitor services, uh, excuse me, anybody but people like visitor services, ticket takers, the uh, security guards, any of us who are able to be behind the scenes and do our work from home, we are requested to continue to do so until further notice, simply because the more people who are not at the museum, the more visitors can come in and see the works of art. So the museum collection is open and it is still free. Our permanent collection is free, but just for this period, it is still all timed tickets that you have to reserve online in advance. So it used to be that you could come into the permanent collection and just drop by and enter. Um, right now, that is not the case. And things are very limited in terms of who's allowed, how many people in the galleries. So it is very safe. It is very um, available to you. It just requires a little bit more planning right now. Hmm. Yeah. So with, with everyone, have, having gotten so professional at using things like Zoom and, you know, WebEx and all these different uh, softwares. I know um, I got an email the other day. I went to NC State, so I get their alumni email and they, they are unveiling the remodeling of DH Hill, but they're doing it virtually. DH Hill was oh. a, the big library that got very old and, you know, dusty, but they just remodeled it and they're doing a virtual unveiling. So I was wondering, you know, is, is that happening in the art world as far as being able to go see, uh, you know, virtual tour or, or creations or anything like that? Yes, definitely. I think that was a big deal for a lot of museums to all of a sudden switch over to doing instead of all these live events, live tours, exhibition openings, things that we would normally do, almost everything got moved online. And so for those first six months of the COVID situation, we really did only online things. Um, now that the museum is open, you can still go physically into the galleries, but I believe all of our events are still online and virtual. But we've been able to transition into doing things like tours where a curator is holding kind of like a, not a GoPro, but one of those 
basically like a selfie stick situation. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's okay to now, say selfie stick. People I have know, it. <laughs> right? It's pretty much what it is. Um, so we're able to lead you into the galleries that way. So it's a safe, you know, contactless way to experience an exhibition. By no means is it the same. I mean, it's never the same to experience a work of art in person versus seeing it on a screen, but it's better than nothing. Um, we've also had the opportunity to have a lot of virtual conversations with artists who've been represented in some of the exhibitions that we've had in the past year. Our curators, all of us, we've been doing talks and tours. We are also using this opportunity to kind of rethink the future of the museum and the direction in which we want to go in terms of acquiring works of art, um, showing exhibitions, and how we want to present our permanent collection ongoing to our visitors. So again, by no means has it been easy, but I think it's been a very fruitful time for us to really have this larger conversation about how we can move forward, how we can continue to talk about art and show things that people in the area might be interested in. Very good. Well, uh, I, I told you this before too, um, Laura in our office, uh, she's the one who gave us your name and brought you up. And I tell you, I'm so glad she did. You make art interesting. So um, that's very good. And now, now as far as uh, what you do, as far as uh, you mentioned earlier that you have a podcast, could you just tell us a little bit about kind of the, the overview of your podcast, the name of it, just so people can, I know, you, I think you told me it's art curious. So just like kind of what's the premise there. So if somebody wanted to go check it out, they would uh, know what they're going to hear. Sure, the podcast and the book have the same name, which is Art Curious. And on the podcast, I tell what I call the stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and, and strangely wonderful in art history. And what I basically mean by that is any sort of weird or funny or different story about art that you would not normally hear if you were taking an art course in college. So I try to toe the line between education and entertainment because I tell stories that I hope would be fun and interesting for you, regardless of whether or not you like art um, and that it can be for anyone. So Art Curious, find it wherever you listen to podcasts, really. Okay, good. And then the book, is the book, how can we get that? What's the best way for somebody to get the book? Yes. So it came out last fall by Penguin Books. It's available pretty much wherever you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Target, Walmart, your local bookstore. So if anybody wants signed or personalized copies, those are only available through Quail Ridge Books over in North Hills. Okay, very nice. Well, Jennifer, uh, it has been a wonderful uh, conversation with you on this topic of art. You certainly have helped us and intrigued us. Uh, Merce and I just might become art connoisseurs right now. Just I would might. love that. <laughs> well, I hope so, but no pressure. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy the show. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. This was a real pleasure. All right, everyone, that wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. 
always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.